Welcome to another episode of Take 15 at the CFA Institute. My name is Greg Seals, Director of Fixed Income and Behavioral Finance, and today we're very pleased to be joined by Mr. Richard Koo of Nomura Research Institute. And Mr. Koo is uh, Chief Economist at Nomura Research Institute. He's also uh, authored a book on lessons from uh, Japan's uh, crisis, and that's the subject of our conversation today. Welcome, Mr. Koo. Well, thank you. Well, you're, you're here at the Fixed Income Conference uh, 2010 in Newport Beach to talk about lessons from Japan's experience yeah. uh, with a, a balance sheet recession. And um, so there's, there's so many, you know, sort of interesting avenues there to talk about. But to, to focus it down a little bit, um, you know, one of your implications is that, you know, we should learn something from this in terms of the time that it takes to uh, get yourself out of a, uh, a real estate uh, bubble and and uh, and crash, but what about some of the differences um, across countries, like between you know different debt to GDP levels uh, in different countries? Are there sort of hard and fast numbers that that we can go by to to gauge um, the experience that we might have, or is it sort of different in every country? Well. Uh when I go around talking about the Japanese experience, you know, the first reaction I get from most audiences, especially in this part of the world, is that, what do we, what do we have to learn from Japan? Japan did everything wrong, we're going to do everything right, and therefore we have nothing to learn from Japan, only as a counterexample. And that was because over the last 15, 20 years, Japan got very poor uh, coverage uh, from, from foreign journalists, I'm afraid they didn't realize that Japan was actually experiencing a completely different disease. And we in Japan, it took us a long time to f figure that out ourselves, but uh, finally we figured out that this was a different disease. This is not a common cold, this is actually pneumonia, and you needed a very different treatment. But outside Japan, you know, if you're not faced with the reality of what was happening, you know, you, you tend to postulate a lot of uh, silly ideas, try that on Japan and see what happens, things like that. Now that United States, Europe, all catching the same disease, I think people are beginning to pay a little more attention to what happened in Japan, because, and that's the reason I'm here today, uh, because this disease is very different. You bring interest rates down to zero, nothing happens. Right In the United States today, we have rates at the lowest in U.S. history. Federal Reserve cut rates at the fastest pace in Federal Reserve's history. Still, this is what we get. Nearly double-digit unemployment, very weak economic growth, low interest rates, deflation instead of inflation. Why do you get this? Well, that's where I think Japan's experience become very pertinent. Now, one of the things that you, that you argue for is a continuation of uh, stimulus spending in order to um, get through a period like this without perhaps having a double dip or, or too slow economic growth and too high of unemployment. What do you, what's your argument um, for those who say that, well, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't continue to uh, stimulate? So what is the evidence that you've seen from Japan for continued uh, fiscal stimulus? Well, uh, the quickest Example to give is what happened in 1997 and 2001. Those are the two occasions where Japanese listened to that argument 
uh, in those days, the IMF, OECD, rating agencies, they, none of them understood what was happening in Japan. They looked at this huge budget deficit, economy still stagnating, and it says, God, you have an aging population, your fiscal stimulus is not working, why don't you cut it? And against my best advice, Prime Minister Hashimoto, whom I was actually advising, said, oh, let's cut it because all these, all these important people around the world are telling us to cut. We have five quarters of growth, uh, uh, negative growth, near meltdown in the banking system, and our budget deficit actually increased by 68% instead of decreasing by about half. And what we learned in that experience, well, we didn't learn it fully because we made another mistake on the Prime Minister Koizumi. He also tried to cut, slightly in a milder fashion. But same thing happened. The economy collapsed first, budget deficit actually increased. And then you figure out that something is wrong here, right? And then you go back to the United States, 1937, during the Great Depression, same thing happened. President Roosevelt listened to all these advisors who said budget deficit is too large. Uh, New Deal policy already worked. So he cut the budget deficit and the whole economy collapsed again. And it literally took World War II to pull the U.S. economy out. And what's common in all of this is that private sector was deleveraging at that time, trying to minimize debt because they had horrendous balance sheet problems after the bubble burst. And before the bubble, these people borrowed lots of money to invest in all sorts of assets. Asset prices collapsed, liabilities remained. They suddenly realized that their balance sheet is underwater. Everybody stopped pay paying down debt all at the same time. No one borrowing money. And at that time, if government also refused to borrow money or try to pay down debt, the whole thing would come crashing down because the people, everybody would be saving, no one will be borrowing and spending. And that's the lesson we learned in Japan. And that is that when people are forced to delever because of their balance sheet problems, that's the, that's the only time really that government has to be in there to keep the GDP from falling. Right. So you're not arguing so much, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're not arguing so much that the, that the government spending is necessarily the most efficient way to go about things, but it's just a necessary condition given the deleveraging that's going on in the private sector to, to keep income coming into the economy until the private sector can complete the deleveraging. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Well, of all other alternatives, I would argue that this is the most efficient because anything else won't work as well. Uh, I would say that I'm not always arguing for fiscal stimulus whenever the economy is weak. I'm not saying that. Under usual circumstances, monetary policy should take care of it. But there's one instance where the monetary policy failed to work, and it's this one. And that is that if private sector has balance sheets underwater, these people are not going to borrow money even with zero interest rates. They're all paying down debt. And if the bankers themselves have balance sheet problems, there won't be many lenders either. So for, from both the borrower's perspective and the lender's perspective, they have no reason to respond to monetary signals when their balance sheet is underwater. That's the only time, I think, fiscal policy has to come in government borrowing and spending money to keep the GDP from collapsing. Well, thank you so much for your thoughts today, Mr. Koo. Welcome.
And thank you for joining us for another episode of Take 15 at CFA Institute. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.